Awesome. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, as, we, as you turn there, I want to give you a little prelude to next week. If you're newer with us, you might not have experienced it. We have a Thanksgiving service. And the Thanksgiving service is an opportunity for you all to actually do the service. And the part of it is, is that I will be here running the gauntlet with a microphone. And we're going to ask that you share how thankful you are for things that God has done in your life. And so for some people, that is terrifying, okay? And I get that. But um, brand new people on their first week who were terrified actually stood up and shared, and it was a way for us to connect with them and them to connect with us, and uh, just was really helpful. So your, your homework, one of your many homework assignments is to think, if I had to share one thing before God about how thankful I am, what would I share? What would I share? And, now, and then next week, come to be willing to do it publicly. You don't have to come up here. I will come to you. You don't have to speak up real loud. You just have to hold the mic close. All right? It's not that bad. It's not that bad. And unless it's someone we know really well, we won't make fun of you. So don't worry about that. All right? Um, we, won't, we, won't, we probably won't do that. So, uh, no, we just love this time. It's good to hear everyone sharing what's going on in their life. And uh, frankly, you know, if you don't have something to be thankful for, your eyes are closed. Your heart is closed. We've got so much to be thankful for. So, so much. So, um, as many of you know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, sadly, today is uh, the last day. And we are going to literally uh, lightning strike what could be another two months of teaching. All right, so by way of reminder, I just want to ask those of you here who were here last week, what did you learn? I'm crying. You learned your... Yeah, the, all the things we have to deal with, right? But last week, last week we had that big well head here, right? The pump. So all that stuff, what do we, yeah, Pam? Drinking from the bottle, and it's not the bottle some of you might be thinking about. Don't get on Pam about that. No, it is drinking from the water that's supposed to be used to prime the pump and then ending up dry and thirsty. Someone else? Something that sticks in. This is the way you learn by saying it out loud. Who didn't learn anything last week? No. <laughs> no. All right. Yeah, Rob. Yeah. To drink that water and not prime the pump and then fill it back up and leave it for someone else is selfishness. I know none of us in here are selfish, so I'm sure none of us do that. But the fact is that we all are. All right? And so now we're going to get into... We, we've talked about the three kingdoms. What are they? What's one? No order. Kingdom of self, I saw that. Kingdom of, kingdom of God and kingdom of Satan. Three kingdoms. At some point, we're stepping foot in those kingdoms where Satan's having his way. And you can see that happen in certain things. If you see what you know, some people get themselves involved with, Satan's definitely involved, but frankly, a lot of us have self-inflicted wounds 
where we're following our fleshly self and we're not getting into kingdom. And so then we wonder why we're not salt and light, right? It's like, why am I not salt and light? Because we haven't dealt with those things that Donna referenced to, some of the anger, some of the, the telling the truth, some of the anxiety, all that stuff. We say that that's okay and we drink the water that we've always gone to and fill ourselves with it. So uh, that, is a, that is a huge part of this. Now, C.S. Lewis told a story of himself when he was a kid. And some of you might be familiar with C.S. Lewis. He's an author. He was friends with Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. He, uh, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And uh, he t- described himself as a schoolboy of 13 that he began to broaden his mind. Now, in all honesty, who here tried to broaden their mind probably when they were in their teens. I'm raising my hand. So none of y'all did. You weren't broadening anything, right? Okay, so, um, but he began to broaden his mind. And what he used to say is, uh, I will soon, uh, he said, I was soon in the famous word altering, I believe, to one does feel. Instead of believing, it became about feelings. And, and, oh, he said, this quote was, oh, the relief of it. Not to have to have a rigid belief and just to go by what you feel. Sort of like for me tomorrow morning when my alarm literally goes off at 1.20 in the morning, I am not going to feel like getting up, right? So if I didn't feel like it, I didn't have to, that would be great and I wouldn't have a job. Right, but, but I believe in something. I believe that I need a paycheck to survive. I believe that I need health insurance for my kidneys and my kids and my wife and all that stuff. I believe, right, but I believe in something. But he was going from, he said, and oh, the relief of it, the relief from the tyrannous noon of revelation, I pass into the cool evening twilight of higher thought. Ah, the relief of higher thought. How many as teenagers thought you had it figured out much more than your parents did? You know, and so it's like, <laughs> we're having multiple hands go up. We're like, here, here it is. Yeah, you know, and so he's like, this was a relief. I just went into this thing of, oh, my feelings is just so good. And now I don't have to be rigid about anything. I just sort of go with the flow and it's relaxing. He said he, uh, it went from the evening of higher thought where there was nothing to be obeyed and nothing to believe except that was either that which was either comforting or exciting. Higher thought, belief. What are we going to lay our, our roots into? What are we going to hold on to? How are we going to navigate our life in truth or feelings, in our truth or perceived truth or others' perceived truth? Some religion can be perceived truth. So the kingdom means that we, we have one of these three kingdoms that we go into, the kingdom of flesh, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of Satan. And, and our higher thought can lead to feelings, and most of the time, when we go to our feelings, we don't really deal with the kingdom of God. We go to the kingdom of self. And sometimes that's where Satan wants us to go. If you remember back in Genesis, he said, did God say? 
to not eat of the fruit? Did God say you would not know? Did God say this? And you begin to question yourself. So the difficulty now is we're going to go into the section where there are a couple things at play. So we have three kingdoms, and now we have one rule. Matthew 7, 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This isn't a saying don't do to others what they would do to you. This is a way that's saying all of us at all times, if we are perfectly in the kingdom, that we're always doing to everybody that is in our target zone within our sphere of influence to them as we would have them do to us, always. Anyone in here do that all the time? Good answer. Many in the, in the, uh, the old school, they said this was the, uh, the, the benchmark rule. This was the straight ruler, the straight edge law. So remember how rulers, I'm dating myself, were wooden and they used to have a metal edge to them? And if you took a pencil and you drew a line down, you can most of the time do it unless the, the rule was messed up. But, you know, and so a teacher was once told everyone, kids, I want you to draw a straight line. And so they left the room for a minute, and they're all trying to draw a straight line. I can't draw a straight line. I just can't. I, I can't do it. And so all the kids did it, and some of the kids were like this. Teacher comes back in and grades them. Well, this one, and they came up with one and said, this one's best. And what did the kids do? Oh, well, they had a better pencil than I did. Well, they had, the, uh, they had a better ruler, well, their desk didn't have marks in it. Back when I was a kid, we had wooden desks where you had imprints on it. So if you started writing, it would mess your pencil up and pen up, and it, you mess your paper up. And back then, we didn't have a computer or a Word, Word document. It was a paper document with, you know, you had to start over and you had to crinkle it up. But the straight edge of this rule is that it proves that all of us fall short of the glory of God. All of us fall short of perfection. There is no way in the world that I'm always doing to others as I would have them do unto me. It just doesn't happen. John Stott says, if we put ourselves sensitively into the place of the other person and wish for him that we would wish for our, what we would wish for ourselves, we would never be mean, we would always be generous, we would never be harsh, we would always be understanding, never cruel, always kind. Do you see the straight edge principle here? This is the expectation of perfection which none of us can attain. Continues on. For by Romans 3.20 says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. When you measure yourself to Jesus, not to your neighbor, when you measure yourself to Jesus, not to the person in your life group, when you measure yourself to Jesus, not to your parents or good friends, you then have the best way of measuring out and realizing how far you, how far you fall short and how much you're in need of him, right? This is what the expectation should be. We get to where it's not like, oh, woe with me, I'm a failure, you're staring in the, the mirror going, I'm a failure, I'm horrible. No, it should be, I need you more, Jesus. 
I just need you more, Jesus. I had a chance to do that this Friday. I'm not going to go into details. It's a very difficult thing for me to do, something that could have created maximum anxiety and, and equaled into equal amount of anger, that before I did it, I went to the Lord and said, God, you've been teaching me this. You've been ridding this anger inside of me, and so I want to continue to walk in it. God, I know now that you can do it. I'm not dependent on myself to do it because myself would figure a sarcastic remark to make a statement. And I sat before I had to go and do what I had to do, and I said, God, I totally believe that you can do this. I went in to where I had to go. The comments and looks were what I thought would be there. But the anger and the smart comeback was gone. I was in shock. It was a miracle. This was really big for me. I mean, I I can't go into it, but this is really big for me. And so it's like, man, okay, God, you are real. You are true. You have given me this revelation of being freed from something that has just been tagging onto me for most of my life. So Jesus takes us to this thing. He's like, three kingdoms, one rule, and then we're going to get into various ways to enter in. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death. So you have a choice this morning. Life or death, blessing or cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. What does this mean? On the top tier of this, Jesus is saying that you can trust me, that you can accept me as Savior and King, and I will give you life. On a lower tier of thing is saying that if you obey my commands as joyful children, then I'm going to bless you and give you life. If you choose not to, then I'm going to bring you death. And it doesn't mean you're going to get a lightning bolt right at you, but some of the things that you have worked so hard to do in your own flesh, you're going to fail at. Because you're choosing your way. You're choosing your thoughts. You're choosing your Uh, the way you've always done your old water bottle to drink from instead of choosing life. I'm saying it really boldly because I feel like I spent most of my life there. The gospel of self-help, personal confidence, can do, take on anything, failed me miserably. So Jesus is saying, you have a choice. This morning I'm saying, folks, you have a choice this morning. I don't have a chance to go back through all the Sermon on the Mount, but you have a choice. Choose life or choose death. Choose blessing or choose cursing. And so how are we going to see that in the Scriptures? Verse 13, we see two ways. 
Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. We've heard all this thing about the Chesapeake Bay Bridge recently, right? The tunnel, or excuse me, the, the tolls, and some of you are like giving me the look of death, like you know exactly what that is. So some of you might know and have done this and thought, thought this, I was... I was thought I was smart one day, and I was coming eastbound to the tolls, and it was backed up, and there was one lane that was far shorter than all the rest. <laughs> You've been there. And I'm like, these fools. And I zoomed in there, and I'm just like, man, I'm looking back at all the cars that were before me, and I got through quick. And then what happened is, at the end of that, there was nowhere for me to go. All the traffic went like this, and I'm in the spearhead, and I couldn't move. And all the people, I looked back and went, ha, ha, you fool, probably went by and waved to me. And I was spewing blessings to them because I just love the fact that they beat me. It was the wide gate. It was the easy answer. We give kids a hard time, teenagers, because usually they'll take what? The easy way. Adults, we do the same thing. But look in the mirror as things that Jesus has asked us to do and see how many times we take the easy way. We do it our way. And here Jesus is saying, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. If there's anyone in here that has suffered from addiction and has come through it, that is a narrow gate. Any of you who have stopped smoking cigarettes, I don't know, some of you remember Bob Dole, I thought he was crazy, he said they weren't addicting. I could not believe it, back in the 90s. But if you come through addiction, you have gone through a narrow gate. It is not the easy way. And Jesus also says to us that we're to go through the narrow gate in our life. So what are some of the narrow gates? We've been talking about them. Dealing with our anger, it's a narrow gate. Dealing with their anxieties and narrow gate, giving that up and identifying it and letting it go is a big thing. So there's two ways, the narrow way and the wide way. Simple question to you is which way are you, are you going through right now? If Jesus were to stand before you, I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you what you're doing and say, are you taking the easy way or are you taking the hard way? Few who find it. But then we also have two teachers. So two ways and two teachers. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. The people who want to tickle your ear and make you feel good all the time. 
False prophets who promise a prosperity gospel of give all your money and you'll be blessed. False gospel of legalism that you work hard enough that you will enter the kingdom of God. Or that you're good enough and you will enter because you're a good person. Pastor Austin and I sat with a person on this week, later last week, and we talked to a guy who's like, Eric, I'm a pretty good guy. I pay my taxes, I work hard, and I take care of my family. God's going to say, what's up, homeboy, and have him sit next to me. It's like, all right. And we began to carefully, when you're at work, you got to be careful to, to press into that whole thought. False teachers have just destroyed a lot of people. A lot of, frankly, a lot of poor people have gotten into the prosperity gospel because they see someone living, uh, living the high life and him promising, him or her promising them that, and they give thinking they're going to get it, and they just end up with more debt. It says in verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Look at the fruit. Jesus judges you and I by fruits, and we're called to judge one another by our fruit. False, the false prophets will promise a bunch of things, but you've got to look at the fruit. Not how fancy the tree is, not how big the tree is, but whether it's producing fruit. In the spiritual realm, it's really love, joy, peace, long-suffering. All those things, the spiritual fruit, that are being produced that can't be explained apart from Jesus Christ. What happened to me on Friday cannot be explained except that God has ravaged my soul in the area of, of anger and has caused me to trust him. Some of the victories I've been hearing from you all, the same thing applies how God has revealed that you, may, you are angry. And finally, instead of denying it, you're going, yeah, I am, and I didn't realize how much, and God's doing a great thing with me, so I'm hearing that. All the other things, too, I'm just hearing testimony of that. That is the kingdom of God working. When that happens to us collectively, we will be salt and light. It's just gonna roll out from us. It's just gonna happen. So we have two teachers verse 17 so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit so in the transplant world one way to say it is uh, if I needed a kidney transplant I could not get one if I had a, a certain form of cancer because it would not justify giving me something healthy because I have something else that's tearing me apart at the same time. Jesus is saying that we're supposed to be people who bear good fruit, that it hangs from us, that people see it and they partake of it, but they shouldn't see an angry, miserable, anxious, fearful, all this stuff bearing bad fruit because it just doesn't jive with the gospel. And then people look and go, man, yeah, I see you. I want Jesus because I see you. They're probably going, 
you just keep your Jesus thing right over there. I've seen enough of that. So Jesus said, I want you to bear good fruit. I want you to be, uh, be people that are bearing good fruit, that people see good fruit, that you're not angry, that you're not uh, lusting, that you're not lying, that you believe in God's power of prayer, that you're walking in it. And we've been seeing that. And so I'm just, I'm celebrating that. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You have two choices. Choose life or choose death. A bad tree in a vineyard will be torn down. You ever gone in a vineyard, the apple vineyards, and seen, well, actually, another way to say it is uh, when I go Christmas, when we go Christmas tree shopping, you can see where bad trees were because you can see the size of the stumps where they're cut off because they're no longer gonna grow well anymore. They've got a form of disease. They're not growing. They're cut down. Max, you all right, buddy? Max and I have a thing up here. He encourages me through the sermon. So we also have two pleas. There's a lot here. We got choices everywhere. We plead before God, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. We talked about it weeks ago, diakasune, to know the will of God and to do it, yes. To know, it doesn't mean to know as you've got it. You can be theologically astute and empty, Spiritually empty. It says to know the will of God and to do it. That is a good tree. A tree that has flowers on it in the spring won't necessarily produce fruit in the summer and fall at harvest time. If it's not cared for and fed well and cut back and and all that stuff, it necessarily won't produce good fruit. Diakasune is not someone who said, God, I stood in front of church. I sat in church on Sunday, every Sunday, all my life. God, I read your Bible every day. God, I, my mom and dad knew Jesus. God, I was a prophet. I went over and someone was healed because I laid a hold on them. I must be saved. Jesus gives one of, this is one of the hardest things, words, I think, in Scripture. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And that will be a plea someday. God, look what I did for you. God, I raised my kids good. God, I paid for for this, I did this, I did this, I did this. He said, not everyone. To know and to do come together in obedience, joyful obedience that Jesus recognizes us by. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ooh. 
I have had many people who were not Christians who said they liked Jesus' teaching. They must have skipped over some favorite verses. Because Jesus is the one that preached about hell more than anyone else. But he also preached about the kingdom for here, for now, to have influence, to have change as we become salt and light, as we let go of the things that so easily beset us, the sins that so easily beset us, and we let them down. We acknowledge we're angry. We acknowledge we're fearful. We acknowledge we're anxious. We acknowledge we lie. We acknowledge we cheat. We acknowledge we do this stuff and say, God, I pour all that into your pump. I'm going to prime my pump with some bad water. That pump doesn't care when it starts that the water's dirty. It just needs to get wet. And when I just think we pour out the bad water into it and then pump it away, and then all of a sudden out comes good water, water that's flowing, water that's good, and we drink of it and we thirst no more because we've been saved by Jesus Christ. And it's legit. It's not just a hearsay thing. It's not just something I said I did. It's real. It's real. It's transformative. Lastly, the choice you have. Two more choices, two types of foundations. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it has been founded on rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who's built his house on sand. What's he talking about? He's talking about you and me. He's talking about, are we taking the kingdom stuff seriously? Are we building on the kingdom? Are we dealing with our stuff? Are we priming the pump? Are we letting the water flow? Are we filling the bottle for someone else? Are we responding to our enemies in love instead of anger? Is our life changing? There's hope for us. He's saying, build it on the rock. Build it on that foundation. And when the storms come, the storms of doubt, the storms of influence, the teachings that you hear that might be bogus, it comes in, it comes in, but your house stands firm because Jesus is the center of it. He is the cornerstone. This is a promise for you. So he says, everyone who hears these words isn't what, he's talking about all that he said before. Blessed are the peacemakers. Be salt and light. Don't be, ang be angry and sit not. Don't look after another woman with lust. Love the, the wife for the spouse that God has given you. Do all these things. Tell the truth. Let your yes be yes. If you do these things, and you can't do them because there's a straight edge, right? You can't do them all. It proves your need for Jesus. So what do we end up with? We end up with one savior, three kingdoms, one rule, all these different ways, but one Jesus to come to and say, I can't do any of this apart from you. I've come to that, I think. The joy is I can't change one of your all situations. I can shout till my head falls off. And if you're doing it your way and not God's way, 
You'll find out if you're his. He won't cut the tree down. He'll cut back those branches. And let me tell you, it hurts. But the fruit that grows thereafter, the peace that passes all understanding, the reconciliation of relationships, the trusting God when the schedule's crazy and you don't have any energy, the faith that gets grown from adversity. When Paul says, I count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations and struggles, knowing that the trying of your faith work is patience and let patience have its perfect worth that ye may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. Folks, that's who I wanna be. Isn't that who we wanna be? I have not attained yet, but what do I do? I press towards the mark and I do it with Jesus bearing the way before me. But he gives you options. Choose this day what you're gonna serve. Which well are you gonna drink from? Which foundation are you gonna build? Which gospel are you gonna listen to? Follow Jesus. Folks, I, I have loved. Max just wants to come with me right now. That's all it is. No, then he'll want it every week. He'll be like, are we? Okay. In a moment, we're going to come to communion. And today, when you come, if you're a Christian, we say this rule clearly, you're free to come to communion if you've accepted Jesus Christ. If you've been struggling, you're ready to turn away towards God and you just want to return to him, take of communion. If you are intentionally building your own foundation and you're intentionally listening to the voices that things that you want to do, and you're doing things your way, I would say that is not for you to take right now. Jesus says in the words of Paul, don't take it lightly. Don't take communion lightly. If you have anger towards your brother that you have not reconciled, he says, pass it by. Lay your gifts aside. Just wait for it and just, just leave it there and then go and reconcile and come back and have things right. Maybe you need to just do a flyby and act like you're grabbing something. And if you're one of those people that don't like attention, take the elements and walk it back. But maybe you don't take it because you're not ready. But if you're, if you're at a place that you're like, Eric, I want this, Jesus. I want this kingdom. I want to follow. I'd encourage you to go and grab the elements and together we're going to take and eat and remember what Jesus Christ has done for us because we can do none of this apart from him. Isn't that right? All your burdens you gotta cast before him. And there's a lot of burdens in this room. All your struggles you gotta lay before him. You gotta do it. So would you stand as we prepare to come and the worship team comes up? As we prepare to come, I wanna reference a book to you really quick. If you have a pen and paper, go ahead, Abby, you throw that up there. I know who many, I know a lot of people, who started reading this or bought the book right now? Raise your hand. 
There's a fair people, right? Divine conspiracy. All right. In the past decade, no book has changed my life more than this. I mean, the Bible is, you know what I mean? It's all part. But if you want to go deeper, I can't, I can't hit all those parts in a, in a sermon. But if you want to go deep and spend the next year delving into something, buy this book, listen to this book, and deal with your stuff. It's life-changing. All rooted in Scripture, all trusting the Spirit of God, all giving all, God all honor and all praise. I can't commend it to you enough. Let's just pray as we come. Lord, thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Lord, thank you that we have hope of being salt and light. God, that we have hope of being peacemakers, that we have hope of living in faith and not fear. God, thank you for what you're doing in our church. God, I pray that your spirit would knit us together whole in ways we've never known before or some of us never thought possible. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.